This is Ben Max from Gotham Gazette. And I'm Jarrett Murphy from City Limits. And uh, Ben, this week we've heard about one of the neighborhoods we've been talking about for a while that uh, was on the list of rezonings and now it's off, Flushing, Flushing West. The mayor and his city planning commission have just said they are, at least not now, going to, to rezone that area. Yeah, what, I'm curious what your, your sense, you're following that one a little closer than I, uh, what your sense is of what sort of went wrong there or what the issues were at play. I mean, it seems like that was never a very popular uh, effort among the local lawmakers there and there's some questions about some of them whether they actually want more density and more affordable housing there and, and some of the issues around that and there are also questions about building heights and flight patterns because you're yeah you know, i think i think you raised two key points one there was no uh there wasn't a lot of support if any support among the local electeds and i think in all the neighborhoods that you've seen so far where there has been at least some traction made um, people might be have misgivings about what's being proposed, but there's not a general kind of closure to the idea, and I think that might have been the case in Flushing. And as you mentioned, some unique attributes of that neighborhood, it's right near a polluted creek, um, it's on the flight path from LaGuardia, there's a lot of density issues at play there that might be distinct from, from elsewhere. Um, you know, it's the kind of moment where it, there's a tendency among our colleagues in the press, and we probably fall into that trap sometimes, of when a politician or administration sort of says, you know what, this was not a good idea and pulls out, we kind of slap them around for it. I think the Blasio administration deserves some credit for this. I mean, I think partly they're recognizing some practical politics, but I think they said, you know what, this doesn't make sense, we share some of these concerns, we're going to go back to the drawing board. And they've even told the neighborhood, at least we've reported they have, that some of the investments that they promised to make as part of the rezoning will still occur. Um, even though the rezoning itself has been set, set aside. And the city also has, has characterized this as a pause, not a stop. Ah. You know, they still might do something at some point, but I doubt we're going to see that anytime soon. I was going to say, keep you know, saying that they're going to continue with some of those promises might indicate that they're not giving up on this as a, as a place to rezone and to add some more housing and some more density. I think that's certainly true. I think so. But as you know, we're discovering a lot of our reporting, and it stands to reason, the city sets the boundaries for these rezonings. The city can rezone one block, it can rezone 50 blocks. So it can really manipulate the scale and scope uh, to a great degree. And so I expect they'll, they'll head back to the neighborhood at some point, but probably not until they go through the uh, the next round. And, and we'll get to that next round in a second. But, you know, I think you raise a very interesting sort of philosophical point about whether it's okay to sort of change your mind about something in government. And I think you know, you raise a good point that sometimes, you know, we can give some credit for saying, okay, let's, we're not going to push this through right now, and we're not going to try to make, go, go to battle on this when we've got a dozen other neighborhoods that we're looking at, and maybe now is not the right time for something. Right, exactly. And they do have other fish to fry. I mean, one of them is Long Island City, which we wrote about this week. Um, among the areas that have been addressed so far by the de Blasio rezonings, really the first one that was affected <coughs> substantially by a Bloomberg era rezonings, or actually a couple of them, Dutch Kills and kind of a, another Queens rezoning. Um, and so the reporting we've done there indicates that, you know, the, the effect of those rezonings on the kind of industrial versus other uses mix. Um, on the creation of housing under the Bloomberg era, voluntary inclusionary housing plan, uh, very much kind of shaping how people react to what's being proposed by, uh, by de Blasio, which I think is interesting. Yeah, I mean, I think the whole notion of rezoning a section of a neighborhood has all these connotations to it, and people are very concerned about 
what that means for all sorts of things that we've discussed and that have been discussed everywhere, including you know prices and density and some of the changes to communities that come with it. And sort of the term rezoning has come to, to have a lot of connotations to it. Yeah, exactly. Uh, and one of the connotations is uh, the speculation that attends when your neighborhood is seen as coming down the pipe as the next rezoning, and that's something we were really conscious of and people made us conscious of when we wrote an article a week or so ago about what neighborhoods might come next. Um, one of the lessons that came out of the first few, uh, especially in East New York, was that if you announce the rezoning too quickly, you trigger or you at least exacerbate some of the market forces that are kind of creating the problems you're solving or trying to solve in the first place. And so folks were very leery about talking about what the next targets might be. Um, so we stuck to areas where it's obvious that there is real movement towards some kind of substantial change. Um, and people talked about uh, the Rockaways as an area, obviously a lot of interesting issues there, a lot of you know, open density areas where you could make some changes. Obviously the climate change threat makes that more interesting than some of the other areas. Um, areas around Gowanus, you know, rezoning that, uh, that Bloomberg uh, contemplated, um, but de Blasio may take up again Chinatown and Bushwick, places where the increase in growth, encroachment, potential for displacement are really already rather present in a rezoning might be cast at least as a response to those. Yeah, I mean, I think it's fascinating at this point, you're looking at some of these rezonings as where can we sort of take the air out of this gentrification bubble a little bit, harness it, however you want to say that, mm -hmm. you know, it, it depends. But this idea of, you know, it's very fascinating, you bring up this point of you announce the neighborhoods that are going to be rezoned too early, and that can sort of heighten this speculation. That's something we've both reported on is, you know, rising property values, but the flip side of that is, you know, speculation and, and you know, driving up prices and pushing people out potentially ahead of time. Um, but this idea that also you give the opportunity for the city to try to harness these forces that I think de Blasio has rightly said, these forces are happening anyway. I mean, th these mm -hmm. neighborhoods are going to change and after one neighborhood, you know, goes through gentrification, it's on to the next. So how do you get your, you know, get a handle on some of that? Um, but the question of announcing these early is also interesting because we've seen in some places like East Harlem, for example, but also Gowanus where Councilmember Brad Lander has, you know, led this effort to sort of try to put a community proposal out there ahead of time. When you put neighborhoods on the list, you do give the community and the local elected officials a chance to really plan and give you their recommendations as opposed to at the last minute putting your plan on them and saying right. react. If you wanted to avoid all risk of speculation you would keep the plan secret until the last minute and obviously that would raise some significant concerns on, on our parts especially. Yeah. Uh, and I think a lot of the transparency and sort of everyone putting their cards on the table is, is a theme that we've heard a lot about in all these rezonings and it's come to the fore the council where there is a lot of talk about establishing some sort of a tracking system or database, itemizing all the promises that the administration makes as part of these rezonings, and I guess finding out whether or not they actually fulfill them. Yeah, I hope they have a lot of uh, bandwidth available. Scroll down. Yeah, I think both our publications, yours more, more recently, have looked at this bill because it's a really interesting one, and it, it was first, it's put forward by the Speaker of the City Council, Melissa Mark Viverito, who represents East Harlem, I think, partly with an eye on her community, and 
looking ahead to promises that the administration will make in its effort to rezone, add density, add housing, and what kind of community, you know, the word benefits always is, is a little tricky to me because, you know, it's, a, it's just about creating a community that's balanced, that makes sense. If you're adding housing, if you're adding density, it's like, well, are there enough public spaces? How's the transportation? Are, are there school seats? You know, I don't know. It's calling those benefits is a little bit tricky. Right. Yeah. <laughs> but the idea of tracking these promises, the speaker, the public advocate, Letitia James, uh, Rafael Espinal, the council member from East New York, who who was obviously involved in this big first neighborhood rezoning, they've you know they're they're pushing this forward, and uh, it's about creating another layer layer of transparency and accountability, which seems to make a lot of sense. It does. I think one of the rare areas of a uh, few areas of disagreement or debate about it between the administration and the council is what really cons- what is a commitment? What what is a promise? Um, and obviously tied up in that is how much can de Blasio, who will be mayor for some number of years, how much can he encumber uh, his successors? You know, we're talking about capital spending that might be, you know, five or ten years out. Uh, and then also we're talking about private actors in a lot of these cases, especially past quote-unquote community benefit agreements, the city hasn't been involved with at all. It's been between, you know, um, the related companies in a neighborhood or some other entity in a neighborhood around Yankee Stadium, around Atlantic Yards, um, around the, you know, Kingsbridge Ice Center up uh, in the Northwest Bronx. Trying to figure out to what extent those are legally enforceable has been a long-standing puzzle for community groups. This probably won't solve that, but it, it'll be create an interesting uh, kind of parallel public system. Yeah, I mean, that, I think that's a great question around this bill for for looking forward. There's also, you know, the more public you make something, and the city council city council members argue this all the time about having oversight hearings or hearings on things that they can't necessarily legislate on, but they can bring it to the fore. You know, that that idea of how public you're making the process of community promises, even if you can't fully bind them at least is better than leaving it to people to try to just find in documents somewhere. Right. Something. Yeah. I, I mean, that's that's small, but... Small, but something. Yeah. yeah, exactly. Speaking of small, let's talk about <laughs> Albany. Um, in Albany, we have a few sort of interesting things we've been talking about. One that we haven't talked about and folks are starting to pay attention to is this bid by the de Blasio administration to lift the floor area ratio cap on residential developments in New York City. Right now it's 12, they want to eliminate the state cap. Um, it's being cast as giving the city the ability to create more affordable housing through more density. Um, it would still require rezonings in any area where they're changing the cap. Um, some worry that it's a giveaway to developers. It obviously depends how well mandatory inclusionary housing works, whether there is an 8020 program or 421A to ensure that when you build bigger, for market rate residential under uh, a, a much higher cap uh, that you get the affordable housing in there. Yeah, I mean, basically what we're talking about again here is the de Blasio administration is looking to build. I mean, you know, they're really looking to build and they're looking to sort of lift themselves uh, and, and the developers that they'll work with um, of of restraints, uh, and that, that's another fascinating one to look at. And you also referenced 421A. The legislative session in Albany, as we're talking, has four days left to it, including today. Um, and 
uh, we, I mean, there's almost no discussion publicly of 421A. We don't know where that's at. It might be dead for a while longer. Or, as often happens in Albany, the end of session might include this big, quote-unquote, big ugly of, of jam-together legislation. Who knows? It could include something unfortunate. You just never really know what might happen at the last minute right, right. there. And housing advocates also interested in perhaps seeing a MOU between or among the state senate leader, Speaker Heasty, and uh, the governor around this affordable housing plan the state has kind of specifying how it will be spent. Um, that doesn't have to be done by end of session, but they very much hope it will be so it isn't pushed off to the end of the calendar year. Yeah, exactly. And I think, you know, the governor outlined a big many billion dollar housing plan in in the budget and in his you know state of the state address and and all that and now we're still waiting for them to agree on sort of where that money's going and how to be spent so that's certainly another thing of vast interest to New York City that people are watching as we come down to the wire in, in legislative session um, back here in in New York City just a couple last things on the housing front here um, we reported this week that, that earlier in the week, uh, City Council Member Richie Torres and, and other co-sponsors, Torres is the chair of the Public Housing Committee, uh, they introduced new, a couple of new bills to uh, promote, expand, and measure the sort of job programs that go into NYCHA public housing developments. Um, so that'll be something interesting to watch when they have a hearing on that coming up. How well are the job development programs at NYCHA going? How, uh, are they worth expanding? Councilmember Torres and others believe that they are uh, and, and where that legislation heads. And I'll be looking, as I'm sure you will too, at the Rent Guidelines Board. It begins its sort of formal round of hearings tonight, uh, hearings in each borough, heading toward their vote, I think, June 27 on whether and how to raise the, uh, to permit rises, raising of uh, rent stabilized rents around the city. Uh, the proposal for one year is zero to two percent. Last year, of course, was a freeze. The year before that, a historically low uh, rise. So be interesting to see where that comes down. Yeah, and that's something where the mayor, you know, has sort of interestingly said, well, I don't control the Rent Guidelines Board, but then when the Rent Guidelines Board comes up with a rent freeze for those stabilized uh, apartments, he's been trumpeting the fact that that occurred under his watch for, you know, the first time uh, in a long time or ever. Um, and that's going to be, uh, you know, again, if there's a small increase from the Rent Guidelines Board, you know, that's going to be, I think, a pillar of his sort of re-election campaign is what he's done for tenants and affordability and that's going to be a key piece so uh, it's good we'll both be watching those.